people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. That is a quote by Maya Angelou. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to episode 156. The topic of this week's episode is Emotionally Intelligent Leaders. My guest this week is Irvin Nugent. Dr. Irvin Nugent helps people harness the power of their emotions so they can have deeper connections, make better decisions, and increase their influence. He is an internationally recognized trainer and top-rated keynote speaker and is one of the few worldwide certified facial action coding system coders who are experts in reading facial emotions. A gifted storyteller, his programs are infused with passion, dynamicism, and of course, his natural Irish humor. He is the author of Leadership Lessons from the Pub. Hello, Irvin. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to speak with you as we were talking before the show um, began. You have some unique skills, and I don't know, maybe you'll help me with some of those while we're talking. But usually how I like to start off the show is I always ask my guests who you are to tell the listeners who you are and exactly how you came to be the Irving that you are today. Oh, great question. So I'm Irvin Nugent. I live just outside of Washington, D.C. However, my story begins in Northern Ireland. That's where I was born and I grew up. I am classically known as a child of the Troubles. My generation got its own name because I grew up in, uh, many people may be familiar in the, the violence that happened there in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And it was a background to really growing up and it impacted me um, personally with my family, but also I think just psychologically. And, you know, as I look back at my life uh, until this point, I think in many ways I have attempted to respond to that. It impacted me. And, and you know, part of it was growing up in a divided society. And um, it got me curious about why do people do what they do? And, and why do, why does communication break down? And uh, today, um, I have a lot of fun. I work in the area of emotional intelligence, and I work in organizations and with leaders, uh, really helping them uh, understand their emotional life um, and become more emotionally intelligent so that uh, they can really engage in the workplace and understand themselves and understand the people they work for better and create more human workspaces. And I do that in training and speaking and in the writing that I do. Wow. So already my my brain is going a thousand miles a minute because I'm thinking <laughs> of things that I'm like, ooh, I want to ask this. So I know what emotional intelligence is, but educate me and tell the listeners exactly when you say you help people with, um, I guess, um, 
tapping into their emotional intelligence or what, you mm-hmm. know, tell sure. us exactly what that means. Yeah. So it's a great question. I mean, I think that I help people do four different things in four different areas of emotional intelligence. I think first of all, in the foundation of it all is in self-awareness. So if we are going to, in some way, manage our emotional life, we have to be aware of what's happening. So uh, do we understand what emotions we're having? Do we understand our triggers and when we're emotionally triggered and some of the impulses and actions and behaviors that happen from that? Then knowing that, do we have some tools that help us to manage our emotions in the moment so that we are choosing avenues that are productive and help us go where we need to? Then the third area is, do I understand other people's emotions? When I walk into a room, can I read that room? Um, Am I empathetic? Can I connect with other people? And then finally, in any conversation, can I manage that conversation to an outcome that is uh, what I want and is beneficial to all the parties concerned? Those are some very vital skills to have. Um, And I'm just going through, as you were naming them off, like, I can feel a room. I can walk into a room and I can feel it. And I'm a, and I'm a pretty good discerner of people. Um, so I think that's a, one of the emotional intelligence skills that I have. So do you, so you say, do you work with just individuals? Do you work with corporations? You work with everyone? How, how does one come or seek you out and, and do you go to help them? Yeah, so I work with a variety. I tend to work more often than not with with uh, individual leaders and organizations. Um, I'm normally called in there either in a coaching engagement or in a training engagement. And what I tend to do there is I tend to do um, some specialized training around um, um, developing that emotional intelligence skill, and then also a very popular as well as emotional presence. You know, kind of an executive presence, and and are we being consistent in the presence that we want to have, and then really helping individuals within the organization um, create what I like to say more human spaces. So are they aware of their own emotional life and how that can create barriers? And um, are they aware of other people? And very often, you know, we we really live in an, in an organism uh, in in a society that celebrates uh, from people that are intelligent from the neck up. <laughs> I like to say in the head. And, you know, so often what makes leadership successful is that emotional connection we have with people. Because, you know, if you have no followers and you can't bring people, then that's at the heart of all leadership, no matter where you're leading, either at home or in an organization. And so these are skills, you know, that I think we assume people can learn along the way. But no one, there's no master map. There's no like, you know, there's no here's how you do it. And I think some people are better than others in picking these skills up. You know, it's so funny you say that because I do leadership coaching and I was just talking to someone today and I was saying how most people in positions of leadership don't understand that people don't leave jobs. They leave their their manager. And it's because of exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. How they treat people. So tell us how. You see things showing up when people, when you're called in to work with people and how the things that you um, are aware of and notice that you make them aware of and how you go about helping them correct that. 
So I think when you have, what I like to say is when you go into organizations and there is a lot of anxiety present in an organization and there's a lot of tension around a leader, some of the things, some of the behaviors that you begin to notice is that there is um, a lack of curiosity, that there is um, discussions are shut down. Um, that there's a failure to listen to all the voices because it can be very defensiveness. You can get into that. Um, there is um, what I like to say is that people shut their doors and they don't interact at all. Um, there's a lack of humor. You know, humor is a great yeah. emotional intelligence skills. And very often leaders that are triggered and anxious, they, they just don't have the skill. Whereas in a tense situation, you know, someone can go in and just crack a joke about a situation, not about a person, but about a situation situation and it just relieves the stress. And then the other thing as well is conflict. Um, very often in, with these leaders, they don't deal with conflict well and conflict becomes personal and it becomes attacking. So these are the behaviors I see. Um, what I find is that more often the leaders are unaware. They're unaware that they're having this intense reaction. You know, leadership is a powerful role. Mm -hmm. And I, I think they, the leaders don't recognize that they have power to set the tone. And, and it's a power that can be used really to benefit and to build. And, and so part of that, the work that I do is really becoming, uh, building a foundation of awareness. And, and the other thing they don't do well is they don't read people around them. Mm. So, you know, very often we, we spend so much time focusing on the words that people use and we miss the nonverbals happening around us. So, you know, are the, are people engaged? Are they, are they disengaged with their body language? Are they becoming defensive? Are they covering themselves up? All of this is vital data that can help the communication process. Oh, I love it. I love it because this is kind of like my jam right here, leadership and, and helping people become leaders because I have been on the receiving end of some of these people that you talk about. I don't even say leaders because being an officer in the military, there's a distinct difference between a leader and just someone who's a manager or supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I always say the few leaders that I have that I have considered as good are the ones, like you said, that have the emotional intelligence, who are aware of their people, who who are conscious and care and have empathy. And then the ones that totally have no clue or they're so high up on their horse are the ones that I found that were the worst and that people didn't like and that demotivated the, the team, the morale was low. Um, so it's very interesting. And what are you seeing, especially in this day and age where we all have been affected in different ways and it's playing out in our lives in different ways? Do you find that these leaders that need help with emotional intelligence are driving their people away? You know, because I think with COVID and how people have learned to do, you know, pivot, that's the, the, the buzzword now to pivot and do things. I think a lot of people have decided that, you know what, why should I go back to work and take the crap that I was taking at work when I have all these other skills and I can do this myself? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think I think we're beginning to kind of scratch the surface of what's happening. So first of all, I just like to say that that you know, as human beings, we are built to survive. And when we feel threatened, we'll go into a defensive flight or fight mode. And we have just been in an extended 18 months and we continue to be 
off a triggered moment where we are in fight or flight. We are literally in survival mode. And for some of us who, who um, to go outside is a decision and a fear around that. Now that impacts how we function. It, it, we don't function at, at, at our optimal. So you've got a situation of leaders trying to lead in this and they're being triggered as well. And so what I found during this is that um, I think leaders became, uh, some leaders became very more defensive. I think because uh, they struggled um, because people were, were, were vir working virtually. And so if they have a lack of confidence in people, then I think it led to some micromanaging going on and, and a lack of trust. So if you don't have a trust of your team, then in a virtual setting, oh boy, then that you know just leads to, 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 to greater um, behaviors. And then one thing I want to bring up, which is really curious what you brought up at the end, which I think is, is true too. People have gone into working in a different way at home. You know, now uh, for, for, for some people that was very stressful and they're only too happy to get back. But for others, you know, it was different and, and their time was different and they got to choose different things. And, and I feel that, yes, people want to go back to work. But what I'm finding in my coaching is that people are also saying, but I don't want to go back to the way it was. It can't be the same because just um, the, the same old way it was before, I've discovered something new. And I think there is this, you know, this tension about um, how do I um, carry forth some of the great things that happened during this pandemic in the way that I was with, with my family? Yeah. And, and I think the managers, supervisors, however you want to classify them, the ones that weren't that great before the pandemic, I think that they, like you said, they really struggled with the pandemic. And even now, um, it's, it's just amazing how many people are in positions of leadership and they really don't have the skills I mean, and, and they don't, a lot of them don't understand that leadership is not just being in a position, giving orders and all of that. It's, it's like you're saying, having that emotional intelligence, because, you know, when you treat people right and you, you can communicate and, and know them, you get people who want to be productive for you. Yeah. And, you know, um, we, you know, and, and in fairness as well, we don't do a good job in training leaders as well. You know, very often what happens, at least, in, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, in organizations, um, normally what happens is, oh, we need a new leader. Well, who's been performing well? And so we take these subject matter experts who are really good at getting a specific role done, and then we promote them. And the problem is we don't put enough support around them. And then, of course, people struggle because, you know, I think one of the greatest um, difficulties is moving from that manager role into a leadership role. Because, you know, when you're a manager, you say, well, I did X, Y, and Z today. I got all this accomplished. And then as a leader, you think, what did I get done today? Oh, my God. I think about three fires. I don't know. And then the danger is let me go back into my comfort level. And it's a micromanaging and it's a controlling because at least I know I'm getting some something done. And, you know, sometimes leadership is being comfortable in making decisions when you only have 70% of the data. And it's mm -hmm. at times it is not comfortable mm -hmm. and um, it takes a while to get used to. Oh yeah. You know, and I believe I read Colin Powell's book and he said the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, being a leader, you have to make those decisions. You may not have all the data, but you still have to make 
that decision and that's up yeah. to you and whatever comes after it, that's up, that's for you as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So tell me how long does it take once you're called into a place and you start working with your clients, how long does it take for them, for them to see what they need to change and are they resistant or are they always open to that change? So I think um, it's a great question. So I, I don't think there is a, an average you can go. I think what, what I look for in the beginning is, is there an openness? Mm-hmm. You know, um, unfortunately, I think um, coaching has in some organizations, it's, it's the dirty word. And it's, it's like, you know, we need to fix this person, you know? And so we'll get a coach for them. And very often it's such a terrible, you know, when that's the culture, then there's, there is a resistance and I can understand I, why would I want to coach? I don't have any problems, you know, but when, when you have a supportive culture that, you know, uh, Hey, part of, part of leadership development is um, growing. And part of growth is having a coach who can help you. What a gift. So I find when there is an openness and a receptiveness, then I think that's the beginning. Now, in any uh, coaching relationship, there'll come a point where there are things coming up and truths that are being said that are uncomfortable. And some people are more resistant than others to that. And and, um, it may take them a longer time. But I think with emotional intelligence, I like to get very practical. I like to give people tools. So I think, you know, within two or three months, people should begin to see differences. And, and as long as they're putting the work in, then I, I, you know, they should be picking up things both in their own self-awareness and examining some of their, their patterns of behavior, and then how um, they're managing the different relationships. And really, you know, at the core of great coaching is bringing in real life situations. Like, hey, I had a conversation with Trina last Tuesday, and this is what happened. I said, okay, well, let's explore that. And that's really where magic can happen. So can you give us just a few of your tools, one or two that you actually use that you, that, that are like your foundation of telling people, okay, these are the, the things that you need to work on. Yeah. So w- like one of the ones I, I'm a great believer in understanding our emotional triggers. And so we are creatures uh, of habit and we have behavioral patterns and to understand those. So one of the tools, one of the works that I do is, is really um, finding people to, to really reflect on, on past behaviors, especially uh, behaviors that they, they, they've been called out on or behaviors they, they, they just find themselves in that they later regret and really examine that. What is it? What is the trigger? What led to that? So say, for example, I was working with a client a few weeks ago, one of her triggers was that when someone spoke over her at a meeting, it shut her down mm. and she just, that was it. And so they said, well, that's interesting. Does that happen? And so to explore that. And then what I, what I like to do is get below the surface. Well, what is it about that? Why is that such a triggering moment? And then you can kind of explore, well, though, as well, it was actually, I can remember growing up at the, 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 the dining room table, I was told never to speak, et cetera. So there's even like a, a deep pattern going on there. And then also just to exploring, you know, well, well what is it about that? What does it violate? And I, she said, well, it's just, there's, there's a, a lack of respect. And when I don't have respect, I just shut down. I said, oh, mm-hmm. interesting. And so, so then, um, well, well, then how do we deal with that? And then another tool that I like to use is visualization. So I like to use, um, so visualize yourself then in that meeting, someone speaking over you. Um, what might be other ways that you could respond? 
And it's great to have some fun, you know, you can kind of like talk about ridiculous and I never do that. But, but then, you know, what we, we arrived at was, you know, well, I would just like to be very firm and to say to that person, you know what, I'm actually not finished. I need an extra minute. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but there's a lack of confidence there. So in other words, so let's begin to visualize that. And of course, with visualization, we know that the power athletes use it, surgeons use it. And so to, to get very granular, to, to, to imagine yourself in the situation, to hear your voice saying that, to feel yourself doing that, and to kind of really visualize, visualize that and then take it into the meaning. Will it work perfectly the first time? No, but it's this attempt to really change behavior and to, to understand that. So that's kind of a little flavor of, of one of the core areas of, of kind of changing some behaviors and some reactive behaviors that we might have. And I know you, you mentioned you work and you start off um, helping people like evaluate themselves to know themselves. That way they can learn what these triggers are and things like that. How, how does one come to do that? Because evaluating yourself is very confronting, right? It is something that is hard to do. You can see someone else's faults and flaws, but then when you have to look inward, you're like, Oh, wow. And it really, it's really hard to, if you're honest, it's really hard to look at yourself and say, okay, yes, I do this not well, or I do this horribly. Um, (laughs) How do you get a person to that point? Because um, yeah, before I can sit down and realize I have a trigger, I got to sit down and say, okay, you know, here's the things that I do well, I don't do well, or these are the things that people have told me I do, and I have to accept that. So again, so I think what can be helpful here, and again, it depends uh, where you are in your journey of self-development and, um, you know, hey, I have encountered pretty senior leaders Mm. whose level of self-awareness is incredibly low Mm. and you have to treat it with kid gloves because there is a... there's a lot of prestige there and, mm-hmm. and, and a feeling of a lot to lose. So you really have to understand where they're at in their journey. Um, so I think, first of all, I think you can turn to some assessments. So, I mean, there are some um, behavioral assessments. Uh, I, I use a couple of emotional intelligence assessments. There's the DISC profile. So there's lots of profiles out there that are um, positive in nature, that are really exploratory about uh, who you are and your behaviors. And I think that can be helpful for some leaders to begin to kind of open the door. Um, I don't believe there's one assessment that is the best out there. I think really in the hands of a good coach, what it does is it enables a conversation to happen. And then that rich conversation can, can help um, that exploration. Um, the 360 tool, that is where you not only evaluate yourself, but others evaluate it. That takes it up to another level. And I think for leaders, um, that can be very eye-opening as well. Um, and, and two ways, you know, very often we, we go to the negative. It's like, oh, um, they're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. But I often say as well, you know, well, maybe they're telling you you're doing something right. Mm-hmm that you're not even realizing as well, or you're having an impact in a certain area. So I think 360s as well can begin that process. And, um, and I think what you're, you're looking for is you're, you're also helping a leader begin to build a mechanism around their lives, which is more curious and uh, more reflective. And, you know, 
business world today is a crazy world. It is, it is, it is, is full of change. It is rapid. It is incessant. And so it's, 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 it mitigates against being reflective and being curious, et cetera. So you're really trying to build in this, this mindset as well, which can be helpful. Mm. Okay. So let's get to the next thing that you're expertise in. (laughs) expert in, and that is the facial recognition and emotions. Tell me about that, because I I don't do well with that. (laughs) Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, um, when it came to, you know, the emotional intelligence and affect research, you know, search on on emotions, it's actually pretty recent. Um, Up until the 1960s, there really wasn't a lot of research done, because that's not where psychology was. And so some of that initial research and, and the continuing research have found that, you know, uh, that there are emotional displays in our face um, that can be recognized and understood, and that uh, there are actually universal expressions. We used to think that all emotions were just culturally based, and so it, it varied depending on the person and where they were. But we understand that there actually are seven universal emotions, which um, are shown in the face, and no matter where you are in the world, no matter um, the gender of the person or age, they will show up in the same way. And even if a person tries to suppress them, they will leak out because uh, they are too quick for our consciousness to, to kind of grab them. By the time we become conscious that we want to grab them, it, they leak out. And so those seven emotions are uh, surprise. Uh, they are fear. Uh, they are uh, happiness, uh, sadness, disgust, uh, contempt, and anger. Mm. Yeah. And so they will be displayed in the same way. So you can um, one of the, some of the work that I do is helping people understand the way that they're configured in the face and how to recognize them. And then also um, to recognize, even when a person doesn't want to show the emotion, when it leaks out, how to read that as well. Mm. So, so do you, do you train on how to, how to control that? <laughs> how to- well, there, th- see, now that is something you can't do because um you know, one of the things about the timeline of an emotion is so, you know, before we become conscious of an emotion, what's happened is that within the first half second, we've been physically triggered and we have physiological reactions in our body, including the facial. And so just say I'm in conversation with you and say that um, for I'm, I'm angry at you and I want you to know that I'm angry, then you will see anger in my face. But just say I'm angry with you. I don't want you to know I'm angry. Then by the time, oh, I have to hide this. And by the time I've hit it, it's leaked out. And if you're trained enough, you can read that. Now, the training is not to go, hey, you, I saw you had an, <laughs> you're angry. What's other? But, but it's really just, oh, that's interesting. Oh, so they're angry. Now, one thing I'll never know is I don't know why you're angry. I can guess at that, but I know that you are feeling anger. Mm-hmm. And so then that just informs the conversation. So, you know, training leaders to do that is very powerful because like just in situations, you're at a meeting, um, you say, hey, I need this proposal next week and say the person then flashes a sign of fear at you. It's like, oh, interesting. What's that about? Mm-hmm. Um, are they fearful they won't get it done? Are they fearful that the time is, is the time is, is too pressing? What is it? And so you just let you ask another question mm-hmm. that gives in some more data. Oh, you know, so that that's really the power of it. And it's funny because I was going to ask that. So if you do in that scenario, see that, do you ask that person later on, like, you know, you know, are you okay? Is this something that's doable for you? Or do you just leave it alone and say, well, I'm going to keep track of 
this is how Sally acted. How do you handle that? Um, I, I like to, um, I, I think the way you described it is beautiful. So I, I do, I think like a little side conversation and just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm I just, uh, would just want to make sure that the request that I made is okay. Everything okay with that. And, and just say, as you say, what Sally says, you know, mm-hmm. um, but just to keep it, but I think that's perfect because you're not calling a person out and you're just adding some extra support and clarification. And, and maybe the emotion wasn't around that, but, but at least, you know, you're using that data to really sense. And it's amazing because then people get the feeling, wow, they're, they're really understanding me. Well, why did they ask that question? And, and people really feel um, the empathy and they feel the connection. So let's say that it wasn't something specifically that you said, let's say Sally comes in and you can see her face. And this is where a lot of uh, leaders don't do well. You know, Sally may have had something going on at home. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that you, you know, pull her aside and say, hey, you know, is everything OK? Or do you just say, oh, she's having a bad day? Um, because I think, like you said, the empathy and showing people that you care, I think that goes a long way. And you don't have to get into all the details of someone's personal life. But I think just showing them that you care by asking and saying, you know, hey, you you know, you you don't seem like you're too happy today. Is everything OK? Is that something that leaders should do? I think so. I mean, I think so. Now, obviously, you know, somebody, well, I don't have time, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You know, I always say, um, I'm not asking for you to initiate a 30-minute deep conversation with a person, but just to say, you know, um, you know, I may be wrong, but I'm just noticing today, is everything okay today? And, and, and uh, you know, that can be, you know, so empowering for people. Uh, that that a person's really listening. The only thing is, well, I always say about listening, you know, people, well, I don't have time to listen. I said, you know, if you give a person your 100% attention, yeah. um, I say that it likes, it, it's like stretching time mm-hmm. and that five minutes can seem like half an hour. Right. Because one of the things that we don't get from people in general, both in work and in life, is people that truly listen to us. People, we, we're horrible. People think they listen well, but they really are truly horrible at listening. And so when we really engage in a person, we listen to them. It's amazing how even a brief um, space of time can really impact another person. Mm. So I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show, and I'm I'm going to give you a scenario that actually happened to me. And from your expertise and perspective, I want you to tell me what you think. So I had a manager, a second level manager years ago who, and this person ended up being someone that I really didn't trust, didn't care for, but would see me and say, hi, Trina, how are, how are you two boys? And just kind of like do it in passing. Well, I don't have two boys. And I told this person this several times, but every time I saw them, they were repeatedly asked the same question. So finally I got to the point where I was like, you know what? They don't even care. It's not even worth correcting them because my thing is you're the second level supervisor. If you really cared, you would have listened to what I said when I told you I don't have two boys. Um, But instead you asked me, like I said, you know, it's kind of like the, Hey, how you doing? And you keep walking. You really don't want to know. Right. So you just keep walking. So what would you assess about that leader? Well, basically, you've got a person um, uh, on the face of it, first of all, who's not listening, Mm -hmm. um, because uh, part of what a good manager leader will do is that they will they will listen, they will they will pay attention 
to conversations. And, you know, so often um, where great leadership is built is not in what we say, but it's in how we listen. Are we picking things up? Little things around that. You know, you can pick up little tippets of people's life. And when you are able to, to insert that somewhere, the person then is like, wow, where did they, 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 they were really listening. So it seems on the face of it, you've got someone who isn't listening and worse, you've got someone who then adds injury to insult and basically doesn't even, I mean, if not only were they initially listening, but then they, they repeat it time and time again. And so, you know, um, I, I'm not sure their motive, but I, w- what's very clear from this is the way it made you feel. Mm-hmm. And what, how did it make you feel? It disengaged you. Right. And so basically you just said, this person's ingenuous. They're, they're really not, they don't really care. And they're showing they don't care about what they said. And so therefore what happens is I disengage and that's the core of the problem. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm telling you, people need to call you in all the time because (laughs) (laughs) like you said, you know, it goes, it goes, you know what, it goes back to my, I think my favorite quote ever from, you know, the great Maya Angelou, Mm -hmm. you know, people will forget what you do. People forget what you say, but they will not forget how you make them feel. And really, this is where this power of emotional connection comes in. This, this, this sense of this feeling that this person cares. Yes. Yeah. And it's so important, you know, even in the work environment, even, you know, like you said, you don't have to ask someone the 30 minute, you know, dialogue of their life, but just those little things. And, you know, and I remember um, a lady that I interviewed on the, on the podcast, she said one of the things she does is every morning she greets all of her employees. She owns her own company. And she's like, it's just, you know, you know, a couple of minutes, she'll say, hey, Bob, you know, how was your son's baseball game? Oh, OK. How, how's your wife doing? Is she still ill? Things like that, she said. And by the time she gets in early and by the time most of her staff comes in, she knows she stops accepting calls. And she'll just stand around by the door and and do that as people come in. And I thought that is such a brilliant idea because you are showing people that you care. And it's not that, you know, you're trying to get every detail, but it, if I discussed with you yesterday and I said, Irvin, you know what? My son's got a football game. And then tomorrow you're saying, oh, hey, how was your son's football game? I'm like, wow, you know, that means a lot, yeah. but, you know? Yeah. And, and I would even go further because what's brilliant about that example is as well, you know, some leaders will say, well, I just don't have time to do that. Right. Well, he, here's what I bet you that person, if you brought her back and, and you talked to her about that, she also picks up if someone's coming in and something's not right. She'll be able to 10 a mile away and she can preempt something that would have bigger consequence down the day. So just say you have a person who comes in, just say they're angry, they're down or whatever, and they're not performing well. And it creates a problem. If you're there at the beginning to say, ah, this, this could potentially be an issue. You can kind of then insert some greater support, some conversation, et cetera. And, and this is where the emotional intelligence comes in, that you're actually able then to create, to prevent, say, a situation that could be problematic down the road. Mm. Man, like I said, I, I, I hope everyone listening, especially leaders and people um, who appoint leaders, I hope you are listening to this because it's so important and it, it, really affects the morale of the people who are working for you. And I think the more that people and leaders understand that you'll have a better working environment. 
But these are not only skills that um, can be used in the workplace. You can use these in your personal life with your mate and with your children. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, emotional intelligence doesn't differentiate between work and home. And, you know, and, and, you know, that's another thing as well that I find the good leaders are able to do and people is, you know, so often the, the, the transition we make from work to home and home to work is very important every day. And I think, you know, especially now, even when it can be in the same house that you're literally going to the dining room table and switching on the computer for your zoom, you know, but we carry baggage with us and it impacts us, you know, and, and very often to be able to, 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 to realize that, that I'm carrying with me something that happened in the last minute uh, or the last meeting that I was in. And I need to some time to get out of that before I, engage with my family or my friends because I'm carrying that with me. And, uh, and I think that's an essential part of emotional intelligence too. Mm, absolutely. All right, Irvin, I can talk to you forever about this. Cause like I said, this is kind of my jam. I love what you're doing, but we're going to get into our questions. Okay. Okay. So number one, who or what motivates you? Um, what motivates me is that um, the smile in a client's face when they have an aha moment and they've discovered something that's making their life easier. Okay. What demotivates you? Um, rudeness. Mm. Rudeness is a trigger for me. When, when people don't show people just common respect, it, it's very demotivating for me. Mm-hmm. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Um, hmm, interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I would have to say that um, um, I was, uh, I was when I started my business, there was a few people that were naysayers that I, I gave up a position as CEO of a company. And they said, are you crazy? You know, you got the security, you got this, that, and the other. And I didn't listen to them. And I, I, I made, uh, I did everything you shouldn't. I moved to a new city and not knowing anyone. And they said, that's crazy. And it kind of was fuel. Like I'm going to show them. Mm, that's the, I'm like that too. What is your fear? Security. Um, I grew up, you know, in a very violent society and um, um, I am risk risk averse at times. And uh, my fear is that that's a fear of me of, of, of being caught. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, a a continuing journey in my life. Mm. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Um, Yes, I I am. um, So one of my traits is that I'm, I'm conflict averse and at times I have run away from conflict and, um, and I've come to realize that. And there are, there's one or two situations I look back on when I should have had difficult conversations with people and I didn't um, because I was fearful that it might impact the relationship. And as I look back, um, I think my relationship would be in a different space if I had the courage to have those conversations. Huh. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Um, yeah, I, I, I have, uh, again, and, and the other way in, in the heat of the moment, I have, I've said some things that hurt people and, um, and 
you know, there are things that you can't talk back. And there's a few times in my younger life when I said things that I, I just really regretted it. Mm. What is your definition of success? My definition of success would be when um, you are doing things that align with your deepest values. Mm. And if you are there in life, then, um, then there is meaning. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want to have meaning in our life. Mm. How do you recharge? Um, I recharge uh, through um, reading and cooking and travel. Um, so it has been a difficult 18 months. I, I love going to places where I am out of uh, I'm 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 a, 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 a out of sorts in the sense of yeah. that that I'm I'm it's a culture that's different and I, I just it gets my curiosity going and I love it. I'm shaking my head because I'm the same way. I love traveling internationally. So yeah, it's I've had two trips planned in these last two years and they both got canceled. So I'm I'm yeah not happy about yeah. it. Um, what are you awesome at? I think I am, I have a gift in connecting with people and um, people feel that, that, that I create a space where they're heard and they're appreciated and celebrated. What legacy do you want to leave? Um, I want people to say that here goes a person who um, built bridges and not walls. Mm-hmm. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Um, that we have lived in 18 months where we have been afraid of an invisible virus. And yet each and every day we get to sow our emotions and we catch the emotions of others. And it's a power and a choice that we have. And so be deliberate in sowing positivity, being deliberate in sowing compassion and love and be deliberate in um, listening to others because it truly can have an impact beyond your imagination. Mm. So Irvin, tell the listeners how they can work with you. Um, I believe you have a book out, um, mm -hmm. how they can get all of that and, and give us actually, because I didn't touch on it. Tell us a little bit about your book and as well as mm -hmm. how we can get it. So the book is called Leadership Lessons from the Pub. Um, I grew up in a pub in Northern Ireland um, where my family, uh, we lived above it. Um, and uh, we were very impacted by it. We actually lost our business in a terrorist bombing when I was six. And so the book was into that. It was into the resilience. And it talks about um, what happens in this space, this pub that creates relationships that can leaders can really learn from. So it's uh, that's what the book is. And uh, if you want to contact me, the best is my website, urbannugent.com. Um, book information is there. I also have a YouTube channel. And every Wednesday, I, I have a, um, an episode which uh, looks at emotional intelligence at work and at home. So you might want to subscribe there. And then I also have a little course on emotional intelligence for people that want to grow a little bit more. It's totally free. And you can find it at urbannugent.com forward slash gift. And uh, you can access that course and lots of cool tools and tips there for growing your emotional intelligence. And what's the name of your YouTube channel? Uh, Irvin Nugent, just okay. uh, through my name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, Irvin, I thank you for being on Trina Talk. This has been, uh, I love the conversation. Like I said, you and I can talk forever about <laughs> this because this is kind of like my, my thing, but I thank you. And um, I hope that we stay in contact and 
never know what the future may hold for us. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to not only have our conversation, but also connect with your listeners too. If you like Trina Talk Podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.